Now is the time in our service that children ages three to first grade can join their teacher at the back for Children's Church. And if the rest of you all who are able could please stand as we listen to God's word together. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I invite you please to pray with me. Father, again, we pause in prayer, remembering the amazing reality that we are in your presence and that you are attentive to our needs. And so, Lord, uh, as we come to try to listen to you, we acknowledge before you that we can only do this by your help. And so we again appeal to your mercy, asking that you would speak to us, that your spirit would help us to listen, that we would see Jesus more clearly and worship him more fully. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is Palm Sunday, as we obviously can see. And uh, Palm Sunday is kind of a strange holiday, I think, um, because I'm not sure... We know what to do with Palm Sunday. I mean, we know there's the palms, which sometimes I wonder is kind of like a plot to get Presbyterians to put their hands in the air for worship. It's like the only time we do that. 
But that's about the only thing we know what to do with Palm Sunday. Other holidays that are Christian that we know are significant, we know what to do with. Christmas, we know it's about celebrating God's generosity, Jesus coming. And there's presents. You know, in a few days, Good Friday, we know that there is a grief as we see Christ going to the cross. And then Easter, there is joy, there is celebration. But Palm Sunday, I don't know anyone who goes, Palm Sunday is my favorite Christian holiday of the year. And I think that's because Palm Sunday is about the truth that Jesus is king. And the idea of king is not something that we connect that much to. Let's, let's face that. Um, if I were to just throw out that word king without any context, I wonder what your mind would immediately go to. Like, what's the word association with king? Uh, maybe for some of you, if you've been watching, like, The Crown on Netflix, you think of kind of posh, upper-class Queen Elizabeth. Or maybe if you're a student of history, you think of all of the, the, the bad kings that England had, like Henry VIII with his many wives, or, or King George during the time of the Revolution. I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of why we're not so keen on the idea of king. Our whole country kind of is based on a rejection of a king. And so I don't think we relate that much to the idea of a king. But here's the thing. Here's the difficulty, I think. The Old Testament says that what everyone needs, what everyone is looking for, is a king. And I say everyone is looking for it. Some of you who are like me in my age, you might remember a song by the Eurythmics. Uh, in the 80s, Sweet Dreams. Does anyone else remember what I'm talking about? And there's this line that's repeated. Everybody's looking for something. Everyone, so I, I traveled the world in the seven seas. Everyone is looking for something. And I think that's right. I think whether people realize it or not, what people are looking for is help. Because we are all in over our heads. Now, we don't always admit it, we don't always recognize it, but we see signs all around us. Think of, think of even just yesterday. Some of you might have been following in the news. There's this March for Life. Hundreds of thousands of people throughout the world marching in re response to what happened in Florida. And I think it's sometimes portrayed as the sign of strength. Everyone kind of fighting for something. But, but if you really penetrate deep down, it's not a sign of strength. I mean, it's a cry of help, isn't it? These are people who are saying, we don't want to be afraid to go into math class and have to be shot. It's, it's, it's a call for help saying, we're in over our heads and we need help. And, and we don't just see that at a national level. We see, this, we see this personally, don't we? I mean, why is it that we wake up at 3 in the morning and I find ourselves thinking about something, thinking about something? Why, why is it that we feel tight in our chest sometimes, or tight in our shoulders. It's, it's this knowledge that we are in over our heads. That's what the anxiety is about, that we need help. Some of us are workaholics. We, we don't know how to rest. Whenever we come to a time where we're just supposed to relax, we become unsettled and we want to start working again. And sometimes it's because work is the way that we fight off the things that we're afraid of. Work is how we deal with our feeling of insignificance or our fear of, of failure, or our fear of financial security. And deep down, the reason we work is because we know we're in over our heads and we need help. You know, one of the things that I noticed early on when I started working as a pastor was again and again, I felt like I was hearing the same story. I'd be talking to someone and they said, 
they would say, everyone else is normal but me. Everyone else has it all together except me. And that's what everyone was saying. Because people realize that they're in over their heads and they need help. Everyone is looking for something and they are looking for help. And what, what the Bible tells us is that what they are looking for is a king. Now we should understand that a king in biblical times was more than just about having power. Power, of course, was a key part of it. But a good king, a good king would do for his people what they could not do for themselves. That's what the purpose of power given to a king. So, so if you wanted protection in biblical times, you would need a king. And we understand that, I think, if, you know, if you're a student of World War II, think of, think of how England, during this time where they were afraid of the Nazis, just hearing on the radio the voice of Winston Churchill, this person who was guiding their armies and hopefully protecting them, that was their source of confidence. In the same way, we would look, if you were in the Old Testament time, to a king to protect us and keep us safe. A king was what was needed if you wanted justice. Now, the sign of a good society is when those who are most powerful take care of those who are most vulnerable. Problem with that is that doesn't come naturally because it is very easy, if you are in a place of power, to ignore the vulnerable. And so a good king would be the one who would draw people's attention to the widows, to the orphans, to the immigrants, and care for them. If you want justice, you need a king. And in Israel, a king had an even bigger role than even that, and that was to help lead his people towards God. Whenever you follow the story of Israel in the Old Testament, it was the king who would ultimately decide, is the nation going to be a nation that obeys God and follows him faithfully, or is the nation going to turn away from God? If you, if you want to follow God rightly, and you're Israelite, you want a good king. And so there's this place in, in Israel's history when things are going badly, and they are going badly. There's this, you know, you see this decline where increasingly it's a place of injustice and inequity. Increasingly you see Israel turning their back on God, and eventually the people of Israel are overtaken by their enemies. And in the context of this decline, prophet after prophet say the same thing. You need a good king. And here's the good news. A good king is coming. God is sending you a good king. And one of the most important parts, one of the most important moments where the prophets will say this is in the book of Zechariah. And see if this passage sounds familiar to you. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea from the river to the ends of the earth. To hear what God is saying, he's saying, I am going to send you a king. Don't despair. You can hope because a king is coming to you. And not just any king, 
but a great king. It says, righteousness he will bring. He will bring justice. He will be attentive to the weakest, to the smallest, and care for them. And he will have authority unlike any other. Not only will he rule over Israel, but he will rule from sea to sea, uniting all nations under his rule. And yet this king is not a military figure. He doesn't come on a war horse. He comes on a donkey. And in fact, it says he's going to make all weapons unnecessary. The chariot, the horse, the bow, they'll all be gone because he will proclaim peace and bring peace to the world. Imagine that for a moment. Not having any weapons. Not having to have any armed guards in any schools. Not having to go through checkpoints in the airports. Not having to lock your doors at night because there is no more fear because there is perfect peace. And it's summed up by saying he is bringing salvation. Oh, Israel, take heart, rejoice, hope. Your king is coming to you. What God is saying, not only to them, but to us, is you are in over your heads. You cannot do this. You need help. And the help that you need comes in the king who is coming to you. Everyone is looking for something, and what they're looking for is a king. And what Jesus declares for all the world to see on Palm Sunday is he says, that is me. I am the king that you have been waiting for. Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus, the whole time during his ministry, is not always so public about that claim. In fact, for the three years leading up, there are hints, and there are more than hints. Even the way Jesus speaks, again and again, people comment on how he speaks with authority. Have you ever had someone like that who just speaks with such certainty and such honesty that you just know that you can trust what they're saying is true? He spoke with such command, and it seemed like everything else besides people in the world realized who he was. So he would command demons that terrified people, and they would shriek in fear. He would command diseases, and they would run away. He would command a storm, and in a moment, it would become silent. There were hints of the fact that he was that king, but any time he would do something that would show that, like when he would heal someone, immediately he would say, don't tell anyone. Or, Or when Peter... When Jesus says, who do people think I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I think you're the Messiah. Which means, I think you are the king that has been promised. Immediately Jesus says, you're right, but don't tell anyone. And I think that's because he knew that the moment it became public that he was the long-awaited king, it would provoke a moment of crisis throughout the nation. And he first wanted to go from town to town and preach before that took place. And so he kept it hidden for a while, but not any longer, not on Palm Sunday. So at this point, he has gathered a large group, could be hundreds, could be thousands, and over the last few weeks, they've journeyed from the north, from from Galilee. Galilee was flyover country. If Jerusalem's New York City, Galilee's like Nebraska. 
And so you have this whole crowd of Midwesterners following Jesus for a hundred miles. It's, it's weeks of journeying, probably, because they're taking their time. And that journey goes over the Mount of Olives, and then when you get to the top of it, you look down into the city of Jerusalem, and it's just about a mile left, and you can see, and it's this parade. Pretty much everyone is traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. But when they get to near the top of the Mount Olives by the small town Bethpage, Jesus stops. And you can imagine if you're in the crowd wondering what is going on. We're almost here. Why are we stopping? But Jesus stops. He talks to a few of his disciples. And his disciples quickly go away. And so the crowd is just kind of sitting, maybe talking with each other, wondering what the delay is. Maybe Jesus is hungry or something. But then you can imagine at a certain moment, people who are talking suddenly stop talking because they see the disciples bringing this donkey to Jesus. Now, Jesus has, to our records, never before ridden an animal anywhere. He's walked the whole way because that's what he does. There is no need for him at this moment to get, but, but in that last mile entering Jerusalem, he's deciding to ride on a donkey. And everyone stops talking, and then they start whispering to each other, is this what I think it is? Is Jesus doing what I think he is doing? And then when he gets on the donkey and starts riding, they know exactly what he is declaring, that he is explicitly fulfilling that passage in Zechariah, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. He is declaring by this very action, I am the king that God has promised. And in that moment, pandemonium breaks out. Everyone is, is overawed. They are thrilled. They are excited. They do um, you know, like almost ridiculous things. They take the most valuable thing that many of them have, their coats, and they throw them on the ground before Jesus so that even the donkey doesn't have to get on the dirt. And then if you run out of coats, what do you do next? You find trees and you chop off branches of trees and you throw that on the ground so you have equivalent of like a, a red carpet for Jesus riding on a donkey. And as, as Jesus is riding, they are dancing, they are shouting, they are celebrating, they're singing songs of victory. They're singing Psalm 118, which is a song about the king returning to his city triumphant. And they're singing, Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again and again, they shout out this, this one word, this one phrase, Hosanna. Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? It's a cry of help. It literally means save us now. They're crying out as they realize their king has come, save us, save us, save us. We are in over our heads and we need help. Save us now. You know, there's much that these people don't understand what's going on about Palm Sunday, but they are right in this moment. They are doing exactly the right thing. They are, they are crying out because they realize that this, this is the one who can help them. This is the king that God has promised. And I wonder if, if you and I see that clearly this morning. Do we recognize that Jesus is the king. 
that he is the one that in our weakness, in our inadequacy, we can look to to help us. I mean, why are we anxious? We're anxious because we know that those things that are so important to us, we do not have power over. We cannot deal with. Let me tell you, there is nothing that fits that category for Jesus. I mean, Jesus treats a hurricane-like storm like some of us treat our dogs. Essentially, he says, sit, and it obeys. He has power over life and death. There is nothing that Jesus will not say, I've got that. Or maybe for some of us we feel, no, my anxiety is not about the things outside of me. It's, it's what's within. I know the person that I should be. I want to become a person that's differently, but I, I make the same mistakes again and again, and regularly I realize just how messed up I am inside. Do you not understand, though, that Jesus is a king who sees you completely. The Samaritan woman, what was it that she said after she met with Jesus? He told me everything I ever did. He sees us. And you know, there's this one moment where Jesus heals. There's this man with a shriveled hand. And Jesus, simply through speaking, allows this thing that's shriveled to become whole again. And with his word, as he speaks to us, he does that for our very souls. I mean, we are in over our heads. More than anything, we're in over our heads when it comes to our relationship with God. God, we have messed up that relationship. We have broken it beyond repair. And Jesus says, I've got that too. I can take care of everything that you are in over your head about. Do you see that? Do you understand what Palm Sunday, what, what Jesus Riding on a donkey for all the world to see. He is saying to us, I am your king. I am what you have been looking for. What you need to help you. Now if we can see that. If, if, we, if we recognize what, what Jesus is declaring. We really are left with a choice of only two decisions. We can either say to Jesus, Hosanna. Or we say to him, who is this? I mean, those are the primary responses we see in our passage. What this passage invites us to do, what it really calls us to do, is to join in with the crowds, to join in with the children who sing in the temple, Hosanna, and make that our cry as well. Save us now. Save me now, Jesus. Do you realize that? That is the essential, that is the very heart of what it is to be a Christian. That cry. It's the prayer essentially that Bartimaeus prayed when he was blind along the road. Have mercy on me. He's saying, save me, Jesus. It's the prayer that the thief on the cross, when he said, remember me when you come into the kingdom. He was saying, save me now, Jesus. And it's the prayer that we who come to Christ, when we become a Christian, that is our prayer as well. Hosanna, save me now. It's, it's a prayer of honesty where we are acknowledging just how inadequate we are, just how in over our heads we are. It's a prayer of honoring Christ as King because we're saying you alone can save us and it is 
a prayer of worship. Christianity is not primarily about us doing great things for Jesus. It is primarily about Jesus having done and continuing to do great things for us. And it is this cry, this asking repeatedly, save us now that is at the heart of being a follower of Jesus. And the more mature we become, the quicker we are to be able to say that, the more it helps us to deal with those very things of which we've spoken. It is the antidote for our anxiety. When we are at three in the morning and we are thinking about something, we can say to ourselves, well, of course I don't have this under control. I'm in way over my head. Save me, Jesus. Hosanna. If we have an issue with being a workaholic, we at a certain point can say, what am I doing no amount of work is ever going to deal with this, but I have someone who can. Hosanna, save me now, Jesus. And when you are feeling a sense of despair and weakness and shame, instead of it bringing you to resignation and giving up, it can now lead you to hope because you in that moment are in the best place that you can be in to do what you most need to do. And that's to cry out to Jesus. Save me. Hosanna. When you come to see what it means that Jesus is the king who can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. When you come to learn again and again to be at the place where you cry out, save me, Jesus. That's when you begin to experience what everyone is looking for. But that's not the only response that we see here. It's not just Hosanna, we also see the response of who is this? And we see it when, when they, the crowd gets into Jerusalem. It says, that the people of Jerusalem, as they're seeing all these praises, you know, like it says they are, well, literally it says, I mean, it says in our translation, it says they are stirred. Um, a better translation probably is shaken. And yes, this is my little James Bond moment. It's shaken, not stirred, is really what this translation should be. The idea is they're afraid. They're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because, well, think about it. What do you think the Roman guards are likely to do when they see a mob proclaiming someone to be the king? The people in Jerusalem have been enjoying a certain level of comfort and this person declaring himself to be king is threatening all of that. And so I actually think when they say, who is this? It's kind of an off scornful, who is this who thinks he's doing this? That certainly is the attitude that happens next. When Jesus goes into the temple, he does exactly what, well, a king is supposed to do. He, he establishes worship the way it should be, reforming the temple. He, he finds the weak, he finds the lame, he finds the blind, and he heals them. And yet it tells us that when the leaders of the temple, the priests, the scribes, when they see Jesus doing these things, they are indignant. Who does this person think he is? Who is this? See, they're threatened as well. They're scared. If this is the king, what will that mean for them? They, they're in a position of importance that they like. What will this king mean? What will he take away from them? And so their response is, who is this? I think it's important for us to be honest with ourselves for a moment. If, if you don't recognize that that very tendency is within your heart, then you don't see yourself clearly. Because there is a part of us 
that is enormously threatened by the idea that Jesus is king. I mean, some of you have experienced terrible abuses of power done to you. And so your decision is, I'm never going to let anyone else be in control of my life again. Some of us, like me, are generally afraid of the unknown. And so the idea of following someone into a place where we don't know where he's taking us is threatening. And so we should recognize that there is a part of us that does not want to surrender ourselves to Jesus and say, save us now. There is a part of us that would much be more comfortable, not ever actually literally saying, who is this, but in our actions, essentially giving us some distance from Jesus because we are not ready for him to be our king. And so it's to that part that's within us that I, I want us to see one final aspect of Palm Sunday. And that is that when we see this king with all of this authority, with crowds worshiping him as he rides on a donkey fulfilling promises, what we need to understand is that we see a king who is marching or entering into Jerusalem specifically to die. We know that. I mean, we know Good Friday was announced a few, days, I mean, a few minutes ago by Brent. It's a few days from now. The disciples should know that too. Just a few days earlier, this is just a, ten verses before our passage, Jesus, as they're going up to Jerusalem, he says to his disciples, he takes them aside, says, look, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, which is his name for himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. You know, some historians, when they look at Palm Sunday, they see it about failure. They see it as Jesus trying to start a political revolution that is stamped out, and Jesus being a leader who had some great ideas, but ultimately failed, and they could not be more wrong. Because Jesus, as he is entering into Jerusalem, is entering intentionally and unflinchingly to head to the cross. He is entering because he is choosing as the king to die the death that you and I deserve to die so that we might live. He is using every ounce of power and authority that has been given to him to save you and to save me. And so what we need to see is that what this means, if we look at Palm Sunday rightly, that we have a king, that you have a king who loves you beyond your ability to imagine. You have a king who, when he had the choice, when he had all authority and power, he chose to give it all up for you. Which means we have a king that we can trust completely with our lives. You and I have a king who is able to help us and who is willing to help us and who loves us and hears our cry when we say, save us now, O king. 
And so I invite us, even in this moment, to spend some time, wherever you're at, there are some area in your life where you are in over your head. And so I invite you to spend some time asking, praying, save me now, Jesus. Help me in this. Forgive me for what I have done. There's, there's something that I know that I cannot handle. Save. Let's spend some time in silent prayer. And then I'll lead us in prayer in a moment after that. Would you please join with me in prayer? Our Lord Jesus, you are our King. You alone can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You are the one who can save and rescue. In you, we have forgiveness. In you, we are brought back to God. Through you, we can become the people you have created us to be. Lord, you know our complete inadequacy, our sinfulness, our brokenness, our helplessness. And so we entrust ourselves to you, crying out with our hearts, save us now. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your son. And we ask that you, by your spirit, would enable us more and more to be in this place of crying out and entrusting ourselves to Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are the good news of the gospel. This is from the very Psalm, Psalm 118, that was sung on Palm Sunday. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is my strength and my song he has become my salvation. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. In Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God.